0: Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given to us. Uh, Wade and I are... Given back to us. Given back to us? What did I say? You said given to us. Given back to us. That that word back is important. It is. It's redeemed for us. So welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Wade and I are here in the studio. Doing our COVID-19 online learning. For those of you who are non-students, hey, thanks for listening. I'm sure you don't have much going on, maybe, depending on your vocation. Um, and uh, if you're a subscriber, we're sorry that we're blasting you with all of this stuff right now. Uh, if Please don't unsubscribe. Just maybe kind of adjust what you get um, or just kind of ignore what, what uh, we're giving you. Uh, we don't think that we're, we're not like Netflix. We're not breaking the Internet. I don't think it's our, our fault, you know. Um, if you are a student, um, you can subscribe to this, uh, you're going to see images and the titles of the lectures that are going to be on the website and, uh, these are kind of requirements uh, uh, since we're going online, can't do face to face because of the coronavirus. So, but we think uh, that it'll be better than us just droning on, that you get to have some kind of live discussion between Dr. Johnson and I. And uh, I'm going on uh, some of his class lectures. He's been coming on to mine, some of mine. And uh, uh, it's been kind of fun. And uh, you have I have re- enjoyed it. You have readings that you need to keep up with, and uh, it's not the same as having discussion and visuals and stuff. Um, both of our both and uh, Wade and I, I mean, our strength is the whiteboard, right? Drawing stuff on the whiteboard and stuff like that. So, unfortunately, you don't get that. I but drew
1: uh, the fantastic pope on skis once,
0: <laughs> so um. You know, it's not the same, but we think the back and forth between us two will make this online learning a little bit more enjoyable for you. So, today, theology one hundred and five, introduction to scripture, going through the whole Bible in a semester. We've gotten to unit three, which is uh, the New Testament, really the Gospels and Acts. Uh, last time uh, we talked about kind of the we called it the life of Christ, but really it was the life of Christ. Pre uh, transfiguration, some of those big events like his baptism and uh, the temptation in the wilderness, calling of the disciples, and some of his early miracles. Now, this uh, lesson is going to be entitled The Teachings of Christ. Obviously, we can't go through all of them, but we're just going to highlight some things. I think
1: we should go through all of them. Mike. It
0: may take a while. Um, you have uh, students you've already I'm read through. canceling my stuff for later today. Right <laughs> now. You've already read through uh, uh, quite a section of of the Gospels. I appreciate you doing the work, and here is just kind of some highlights, some things to think about um, um, from our point of view. Let's start with the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Um, Jesus um, is going to go through some of his most, let's say this, he's going to speak some of his most famous sayings, the ones that people even outside of the, of the church, the Christian world have known like blessed are the peacemakers, that kind of thing. So wait, I'm going to ask you this question, right? To get us going. What is the main point of the Sermon on the Mount? Is it law? Is it gospel? Is it both? What are we talking about here? What is, what is Jesus talking about here when he gives his famous Sermon on the Mount?
1: Well, I think it depends who you ask. Uh, the sermon on the mount is kind of an interesting uh, way to test to get a sense for someone's general theology to see how they take it. Um, it was interesting. I I was at uh, been seeing some of the historic churches in Milwaukee lately, and so I went to a, a mass at Saint Stan's on the south side, So it was a Roman Catholic church, beautiful church. And the tag, or no, I was at Saint Joseph's for that one. And the priest was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna hear something different than I usually hear in Lutheran churches. and It was almost a downright Lutheran sermon. Oh, yeah. Kind of said, you know, here is uh, what Christ calls us to do, and, and this is perfection. Be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect, and yet none of us can be perfect, right? And and he got into forgiveness, but also that these are things for us to strive for. You know, um, in a, in in essence, there's not a lot in the Sermon on the Mount that, um that isn't reflective of love, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You don't have to be a Christian to realize that love is is self-sacrificing. Just watch some of our movies that come out in our culture and we still recognize that watch Marvel, right? And Mm -hmm. um, some of the superheroes are sacrificing themselves. And uh, the, the challenge with the sermon on the Mount is that it does, it cuts to the heart because we are commanded to do things in there that are against our instincts, according to the old Adam. So, um, I would say that the Sermon on the Mount is, is kind of twofold. A, it sets before us what it is to to love and serve with Christ like love and service. I don't think we should <laughs> diminish that Jesus is calling us to do these things. It's not um, as if God would not have us do these things. But on the flip side, too, um, is Christ in there says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, um, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. And so at the same time, that it does set before us how our God would have us uh, love and serve. It also reminds us of our need for the Savior. Um, It is a, it's law, as law always is. uh, In its second use, it's accusing, it is killing. And so it it awakens in us our uh, awareness of how short of these standards we have fallen. We would much prefer an easily attainable law. You know, I've joked before about back when I was Catholic and working at Burger King in Lent, I could maybe, have, if I wanted, have five or six fish sandwiches and thinking I was doing a, a great work for God while I had tartar sauce, you know, kind of dripping out the corner of my mouth. And uh, and, and that's not to say that you shouldn't give up something for Lent if you choose to do so in Christian freedom. And it's, it's not to pick on uh, the giving up of the meat on Fridays in Lent. I'm not doing that at all. But what I'm getting at is um, that was a good law, in my view, at that mm-hmm. point, because it it was attainable. an attainable law. I could do it, and the Sermon on the Mount reminds us uh, that this is the the law is uh, has rough edges. It it is not um, an old country buffet where you go and you take what you want and not what you don't want. Uh, it comes as a whole. In the in the ex- expectation of the law, what it commands is perfection. Anyone who keeps the whole law, but but you know uh, breaks it at even one point, as James says is guilty of breaking the whole thing. So I think it's a a blunt preaching of law um, that sets before us God's will for our lives but at the same time makes us keenly aware of our need for a righteousness besides that we can conjure in ourselves. Um, And that righteousness, we know from the rest of the Scriptures and from what Jesus has to say, uh, is is his own righteousness which is imputed to us, given to us uh, through faith, which comes through the hearing of the gospel.
0: You know what my fa- my wife's family calls old country buffet? <laughs> what? Scarf and barf. Nice. We it's had a disgusting. classmate. Did
1: you ever go to old country buffet with our classmate who used to uh, he eat no, as much as he could and make no, himself throw up and then no, eat more.
0: No, I didn't. Go can to you old guess country. who that was? Yes, I can <laughs> It's. I'm gonna take that memory away from my mind. My...
1: Write it down real quick. Who you think it is? I just want to see if.
0: I don't remember how to spell his last name. No. Well, he was the original one. It uh, yes. <laughs> so I took two guesses. Um, they both did it. So um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. A little embarrassing there, but you're right. The Sermon on the Mount is, I think, like all law, primarily, you can't do this. Um, and Jesus says, "Cut your, you know, if your eye causes you, you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you, you to sin, cut it off. You know. And and if we were in class right now, students, I would say, do all of you have both your hands? Do all of you both have have your eyeballs? Right?
1: What would you do if there was and one who didn't? I,
0: if I would know that, and I would change the analogy. To, okay. Do all of you have both be terribly insensitive <laughs> both otherwise. your eyeballs and all your fingers? Have. Are we
1: going to get to talk about origin?" <laughs>
0: Uh, we can in a little bit, but let me finish my if this thought was here. was the only
1: passage you didn't allegorize.
0: <laughs> and well, that, that's uh, let, let me get back to that. I I think that with Jesus, though, he is saying, "Here's the law. Now let now watch me go fulfill it, right? My righteousness replaces your unrighteousness." Uh, you know that uh, looking like you're right uh, when you look at somebody's theology. Uh, there's many passages you can look at and kind of figure things out, but Sermon on the Mount is one of those sections of scripture. Um kind of always said the 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 liberal Christian, what we mean by not liberal, that's a loaded word, but a demythologizing Christian who is somebody who takes the myths out of the Bible. I'm gonna demyth it. So I don't believe I I don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. I don't believe in a virgin birth. And later in our unit we're gonna talk about how St. Paul says that's not possible. You can't really be Christian if you don't believe in in these things but there are people who want to maintain the morality and the culture of of the Christian church but but deny all of the the saving acts of Jesus Christ and the miraculous you kind of picking and choosing what you want to say right so if you're going to put on the UN you know blessed are the peacemakers and this is a truth that is then you you kind of have to question all of scripture, right? You can't pick and choose what you like to believe. And that's true of perhaps uh, more conservative leaving Christians too. You can't just pick and choose uh, the sins uh, that you want to harp on and ignore the ones that are maybe sort of what we call social justice ones. And we don't want to make social justice the gospel. We don't want to make um, a kind of a Pharisaical slavery to the law of the gospel. Either the gospel is this: you can't keep the law, but Jesus did in your place. Okay, you can talk And, over. and to do
1: that, just simply without diminishing the law, because for instance, we see in medieval theology um, develops this notion of like evangelical councils. So there's like there there's the the lay people that the the, the non spiritual people, and they're Christians and they're going to eventually get out of purgatory and go to heaven, but they're going to keep the basic laws. Mm -hmm. And then the super spiritual people, they're going to keep the Sermon on the Mount. They're going to keep the evangelical um, councils. They're going to live in poverty and celibacy and obedience and stuff like that. Well, what that really does is it divides up the law and it takes away its teeth. Um, And we can do that in Protestant Christianity as well. Um, Each age kind of uh, picks its own sins to be the sins it's really going to focus on. And so the you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount reminds us, uh, the, you get the law um, whole cloth. It is one thing. Um, and so I think as you're getting at, we we do well not to just latch on to certain things, but but to realize the key purpose of the law is to cut to our heart and expose our sin. Um, and, and so that we hopefully, therefore, don't try to make it safe. We're the church that emphasizes these sins. That's the church that emphasizes those sins. And then you find your church where you feel safe. Um, the church in that sense is not a safe space, right? We are there to be exposed and killed by the preaching of the law. At the same time, what makes the church a sanctuary, a safe space in a sense, is that the whole preaching of that law is geared towards, um, the, it is to drive us towards Christ who is the end of the law uh, so that the gospel of forgiveness is is then Proclaimed. Uh, so we, we need to have both in their uh, in their totality.
0: And nobody is left unscathed by the law. Nobody, uh, no matter what you what your own personal morality is. All right. Teachings on the Sabbath. So there's a, there's a couple places where Jesus talks about the Sabbath laws. And it always, it's always remarkable to me that Jesus, like, performs a great miracle on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, like, just kind of ignore that, oh, I don't know, a miracle just happened. Like, it's really good that the blind man from birth can now see. Oh, yeah, that, that's nice. But the problem is, is that Jesus did this on the Sabbath. And therefore, he's not, he is a, a, an occult figure He is of the devil rather than of God because they were so concerned about keeping these very attainable laws. I mean, if there's ever an attainable laws, don't work on a day. I think I can manage that one. Well, the hard
1: part was is I was doing a really good job of it. But then one day I was walking and my donkey fell in a ditch. (laughs) And I was like, oh, man, it's a Sam. Should I help my donkey out of the ditch or not? And I did help my donkey out of the ditch and I now, messed up my now, record on now that Now
0: I'm one. going to hell, yeah. But uh, the, the one that fascinates me is that the uh, disciples are following Jesus and they glean in the fields. And so um, just to fill out the picture there, um, we did talk about this in in Old Testament, uh, our Old Testament units, but you're only supposed to go through the field once and pick the grain and what fell on the ground and was remained on the stock, people could go and glean that. Um, You weren't supposed to go through twice. You're supposed to leave that grain for the traveler, the widow, and the
1: poor. So I don't know if they have it in Wisconsin, but for instance, in Detroit, one of the big food banks that helps feed the poor is called gleaners.
0: Yeah. And so uh, Jesus is traveling with his disciples. This have been socially acceptable, and they have lunch, and they go and they glean in the fields. And uh, Jesus uh, is accused of uh, breaking the Sabbath laws because they're working on this on the Sabbath and and Jesus there's a couple other places but Jesus says the sabbath was made for man not for god. So two lessons here. One is their misunderstanding the sabbath law. The sabbath law is don't work, don't be a workaholic. You need stop rest. stop and think about for your but stop and think about what I've done for you. So the church spiritual aspect, right? We keep the sabbath by being in contact with the word of god, going to church. But it's not a rule like a check mark. It's not attendance. It is Will you just stop and enjoy what I've done for you? Stop and enjoy this world. It's a gift, right? Uh, stop thinking that you are defined only by your work. Your your ultimate value is found in me, and I've given you this beautiful, beautiful world. And, of course, it has to do with the spiritual. God has saved you from sin to give you eternal Sabbath rest, and my students know all about that. But the number eight um, this eternal Sabbath rest, and we'll get to that a little bit when we get to Hebrews as well. But so they, the Pharisees misunderstood the purpose of that law, right? They turned the 10 commandments as something that they could attain rather than this is something God is protecting the gift for us Um, by follow these laws so that you can enjoy this. Um, And then, and then notice that you haven't done this and that Jesus is going to fulfill the law perfectly in your place. It's all kind of wrapped up in one. But he's also claiming divinity here, right? He's saying the the Sabbath law is made for man, not for God, and he's kind of saying, see, kind of, I wrote the law, I'm God, right? Or would you go to God the Father and say, mm, you know, you, you you performed a miracle on Saturday? Uh-huh. Um, it's always funny to me in scripture
1: that. too that people say like Jesus never says he's God in the in the Gospels, and you're like. He's doing it
0: right here right. like he... Yeah, and quite frankly, he's on trial because of blasphemy. Like everybody knew he was claiming to be God. So uh, that th- that's interesting because it, it, it is about a teaching that has to do with the law and the fulfillment of the law. Jesus came to not abolish the law, but to fulfill it perfectly in our place. And just a kind of a reminder, he's the one who wrote the law. You're missing understanding the law if you think this is your way to attain righteousness and as my students every day we say there's two kinds of system a righteousness by law a righteousness by faith this is pe- this is Jesus saying you're in the wrong system you're you're thinking you can attain righteousness by law but it's me fulfilling it for you just trust me it'll be okay i'm the one's going to do it take me at my word okay um there there's quite a few agricultural parables i don't want to go through each of them i just want to mention this is an agricultural society and so Jesus very much pulls on those uh themes that everybody would have known like the mustard seed is the smallest seed in uh in the in that farming community and yet it becomes a great big tree uh faith you know uh, it can be it's can be small but you know all this kind of stuff um
1: ben's making fun of your tech skills and telegram sorry (laughs) (laughs) that's
0: all right um
1: what about um dr berg doesn't know how to send images properly did i mess up again yeah, you, you never save it as... I did save that you one. You sent it as something you have to open still. I don't know
0: what's going on. I'll teach you, my friend. That's right. Parable of the Good Samaritan. Let's do that one. This one's kind of controversial. So the parable of the uh, the Good Samaritan is there's is a Jewish man walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho. My students know that. They know the topography of that. You go down and, you know, it's going to be north. It's going to be down the, uh, the Jordan River. What we have not really talked about is at this time you had Galilee in the north, Jewish people. You had Judah, uh, Judea in the Latin term, in the south, Jewish people. And then you had the Samaria in the middle, which was kind of uh, the holdover from the, the northern tribes that were also known as Sam- Samaritans. They had worshiped outside of Jerusalem. They knew when the North and the South split, the Northern King said, Jerusalem's our capital, it's our New York City, it's our Washington DC, but more importantly, it's the center of Jewish worship. And he didn't want his Northern people going down to the South. After the Civil War, because they would be connected to that to that to the South, and so there was different places where you could set up. Most of the tribes of the North are carried off into exile in 722 thereabouts by the Assyrians. The lost tribes of Israel—we don't hear about them anymore—but there was still a remnant, and so there was still this section of Samaria, and the Samaritans and the Jewish people do not like each other, like rivalry among rivalries. So if you're traveling from one Jewish area in the North, on Galilee down to the south, another Jewish area, you would literally go around, right? So this, Jesus tells a story about a Jewish man walking and he gets beaten and robbed, he's mugged, uh, he's left for dead in a ditch. And there is a, uh, a Levite and a priest who walk by and who should, these are church workers, these are pastors, they should help out the man in the ditch, but they walk by. And then there's a Samaritan, the arch enemy, the rival of those Jewish people, and he's the one that stops, he helps, and... Um, He cleans up the man's wounds kind of thing, brings him to an inn, pays the innkeeper to take him back, uh, take care of him and nurse him back into health. And the point is, the question really is who is your neighbor, right? And so the main point on the surface is everybody's your neighbor, even your enemy, and you're supposed to help somebody out. And so, Great, uh, the Good Samaritan is just a picture that we have all of an, in a, all over the world. Uh, the Good Samaritan uh, is often a title for like uh, the homes for those who are uh, convalescing, that kind of stuff. But I think there's something else going on here, and this is where we get a little bit of controversy here. And um, uh, Martin Luther talks about it in both ways. Um, and I think it can be both ways. And I had a great seminary professor. who said, why can't it be both? I don't understand it. And the the other meaning is I'm the one beat up in the ditch, right? The law has, life's hard. The law has beaten me. And uh, it is Jesus, the least one I would expect, the carpenter's son, the one who dies on a cross who is the one who saves me. He's the good Samaritan. He's the one that puts me into the church and makes sure that I've taken care of. And now I'm supposed to go out and be a good Samaritan. So I don't think we have to be too, I don't think we have to be too, uh, you know, pick or choose or whatever. I think it can be both. And isn't that the Christian life that we love because we were first loved. So the good Samaritan, anything, I I think that's probably it unless you got something to add on the good Samaritan. No, I like it. I think you're good. All right. Um, Maybe we could touch on Mary and Martha. That story of Mary and Martha. Uh, it's a good have, story. You have uh, you have two ladies who are friends of Jesus, and and they're having him over for dinner, and one is working, and one is listening to uh, to Jesus speak. And um, uh, Martha, right? Martha is the one who is working, and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha is all worked up, right? She's she's like um, children in our households, right? Where Uh, one does one chore, then all of a sudden it becomes, I'm always doing everything and nobody ever helps me out. Right. We have this pity party that we have. And, uh, Jesus says to him, says to her, uh, She's doing what's good. She's listening to me. And I think the message is, again, a righteousness by law versus a righteousness by faith. What Jesus is not saying is ignore your vocations and just spend all your time in church. No, you're supposed to do what you're supposed to do. Um, this is shut the church door so people can go out into the world and fulfill their vocations. But if you think you're righteousness, you're more righteous than somebody else because you, you know, swept the floor. You're not that much different than the Pharisee who said, well, I was a good person today. I didn't save my donkey um, who fell in a ditch on the Sabbath day? Right. Poor donkey. So, yeah, that is poor donkey. Yeah. Prodigal son. You want to you want to give me some prodigal son wisdom?
1: Sure. Go ahead. Um. <laughs> I mean, if we're we're connecting it into what we've seen with the Good Samaritan, um, we see again and again these reminders of uh, love that's rooted in the person doing the loving. Right. So the the good Samaritan helps the man who by all accounts is only gonna cost him money for his care and resources and time. Right? It's not as if that man in the ditch um were some celebrity that the guy's gonna get fame for helping out or a rich man that so far as he knows who's gonna be able to reimburse him for his expenses and reward him far beyond that. And we see with the prodigal son as well. Uh, the father loves the son. Why? Because he loves the son and so when the son who has gone off and squandered, squandered his father's inheritance, in essence, said to his father, you're dead to me, right? Give me the inheritance that I would get when, you're, when you have died. Uh, the father runs to meet him and, and celebrates him him coming home. And it's not because the son was so good, and it's not this, because the son has anything to offer now. The son is hungry and poor and desperate with no real claim to anything, uh, but it's rooted in the love that the father has for the son because... He is his son. And so we see these stories again and again, centering in unconditional agape love that is not love rooted in the recipient of it, but in the giver of it, which is the nature of God's love for us. How was that, Mike? That, that was, was pretty, pretty good. good.
0: I kind of like, you know, both sons screw this up, right? The the, the older son. The older son thinks, is the religious son. He's yeah. the one who's been in church all this time. He thinks he's he's more righteous and he wants to be, he wants to... You know the, the the cat and fat the 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 fat and calf is is being slaughtered for this uh, party for his 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 brother and he's like you didn't give me anything God right I mean we can have that attitude too, but notice that the the prodigal son who is going out there and living a wild lifestyle right eating with pigs would have been despicable for Jewish people because of the laws, um, prostitutes all sorts of nasty stuff. When he comes back he's rehearsing. What he's going to say to the father, as if he's can he can he he can promise something to the father. I'll be a good son now. I'll be a good son now. Or,
1: almost shame the father into taking him back. Yeah, like, Look yeah. how pathetic I am.
0: Right. And and I love the picture of the father just grasping him and shutting him up. Right. Like this is not how love works. And and I think that's really important, especially as parents too, that when we look at our children, like you're never going to get like this perfect repentance. <laughs> Right. You know, you're never going to get this, this perfect, whatever. And, and, and you hear all these promises that, you know, are going to be brought, broken by, by, by your, your children. I promise I'm going to be better. I totally clean my room every day. Now you'll see, right. Just give me this. That's a quid pro quo relationship. And that's not no longer a father, child relationship. It's a business obligation. God's not obligated to love you. Right. And it's, it's love. This is not how love works. It's not an obligation. Otherwise, it wouldn't be love anymore. It would be a business agreement. And so the the prodigal son still screws up. He still wants to have a business agreement with his father. He wants to say, I do this and then you do this, quid pro quo. It's not how it works. And what's remarkable is the father doesn't say, you still don't get it, you idiot. He just loves him anyway. He shows him grace. And and sometimes you have to, as as a parent, as a friend in any relationship, precisely when they don't deserve something, that's when you should give it. Like your kids are just running around the house and they're just being terrible and they don't listen. And you just say, stop, that's it. We're going out for ice cream, me. right? We're going out for ice cream right at this, precisely the moment when you should be giving them law.
1: Well, and, and, the, and the thing is too, when we take that approach towards the the law that I have to make myself so gravelly that the father will be shamed into loving me or I'm going to promise that I won't do this anymore so that the Father will love me, or I'm going to give my resume, my CV, so Mm -hmm. that the Father will love me. It's really an insult to the Father's Mm -hmm. love because the Father has told us he loves us unconditionally. When we were yet enemies, he sent his Son to save us. He justifies the ungodly. And so at the end of the day, too, um, such approaches are insults to the Father's own love. The same as, Mike, if you found your kids, uh, they kept coming to you, um, and you notice they're trying to get good grades so that dad will love them. Mm-hmm. They're doing the musical so that dad will love them. They're playing the sport, volleyball or softball, whatever, so that dad will love them. Or they're coming to you and having to uh, amplify their need to try to almost shame you into action. Mm-hmm. Don't you see what I need, dad? Uh, you would probably feel convicted. I would feel convicted mm-hmm. as a father of why aren't my children confident of my love? Yeah. Do they not know that I already love them? I want to see them do well in school because they enjoy school and God has gifted them with it, not so that, you know, I will love them. And, and so uh, that work-righteous approach is, is yeah. a failure to appreciate the nature of God's love and, and, and downright insulting at the end of the
0: day. Yeah, you're accused. I mean, there are times when we accuse <coughs> God, right? And uh, when we accuse him of not being loving enough, that's, that, that, that's a pretty bad situation to be in. All right, we could talk Prodigal Son all day, but let's let's move on. Bread of Life discourse. So Jesus has a, a very difficult saying. In fact, he says this is a difficult saying. Uh, this is the response of the, his disciples. This is very difficult. He calls himself the bread of life, and he, whoever eats my flesh, you know, will live. And and it, it, it already in the Old Testament we see God as bread. So we have the bread of presence in the in the in the temple. This is, this is your daily bread and we include in daily bread protection. We include clothes, we include shelter, everything we need for our, for our daily life. Um, but Jesus is the bread of life because he gives eternal life, right? And there's a consuming of God. Um, it's a debate of whether he is, he's uh, hinting at, uh, you know, future Lord's supper here, whether, where, wherever you stand on that. Um, the means of grace is consumed. Like we talk about consuming the word of God um, in in uh, Ezekiel. And, the, and uh, the
1: word there for eating the bread of life, if I remember, it's tropon or tropon. Mm-hmm. It's like a ch- cow chewing its cud. It's a deliberate eating. It's not like you're wolfing this down. Yeah. Um, you're savoring it, you're thinking about what, it's It's a slow and deliberative, ponderative eating.
0: It's a digesting, and so we just got off um, in our unit two uh, talking about Ezekiel, right, and and eating the scroll, right, like, and made the point, like, this is something that you digest. This is, again, not wolfing it down. This is a consuming thing. It's not just an intellectual thing, too, although it certainly can be intellectually stimulating, and it, it comes through. Um, intellectual reading and understanding but it, it's something bigger than that Jesus is everything so there's quite a few examples where Jesus is saying I am the beginning and the end uh, 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 John is, calls him the the lugus the order or everything we talked about that a couple of lessons ago but also the the bread of life let's start with, let's end with this last one the Good Shepherd so uh, Shepherd imagery would have been huge in that culture Um, and we got to know what sheep are. I mean, it, sheep are kind of cute and cuddly, but they're often seen as kind of the dumbest of the farm animals. Can I tell a story? Right? Uh, let me finish on that one second. Okay. So, you know, if they fall over, they can't get themselves back up. They're helpless. Like uh, sheep will stick their heads into, into picket fences and can't get them out because their ears are so... Like they need somebody to look after them at all times. They are helpless. And so the good shepherd Jesus is the one who we really need, we need, we will get devoured by the wolves. We will get, dev- we have left alone, uh, the elements will get us. Go ahead. Okay, so when I was in
1: middle school, we went on a uh, field trip to Greenfield Village and mm-hmm. uh, Henry Ford Museum. Mike, remember that yep. in Dearborn? <clears throat> if you're ever in the Detroit area, it's very much worth seeing. So we got to the the petting farm. And me and my buddies, like middle school boys will do, came up with what we thought was a great idea. and we decided we were going to open the, the barn gate that the sheep were in, and we pictured the sheep, like, that they would come running out and, like, terrorize the girls, or who knew what would happen, <laughs> but this would be chaos, right? So we uh, <clears throat> we slide open this barn door so the sheep can go out, and the, the light comes into the barn. You would think they'd be, like, freedom and <clears throat> and run out and go nuts. You know what they did?
0: Just sat there.
1: They went deeper into the corner, into the darkness, and just kind of huddled there. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking, stupid sheep. Yeah. Uh but now, being someone who teaches theology, I look at that and what a great analogy for us. We're we're so trapped in our own fears uh, and so attached to the darkness that when freedom comes, it's not enough that it's that the door is open. We need the shepherd whose voice we know to, to actually call we need us.
0: To, we need to be led out. We've talked about that. Is that a good story? Yeah, we talked about that, and I'm going to steal it make it my own. Um, we, we t- we've we talked about that uh, in, in our 105 Intro to Scripture about... We don't do very well with freedom, right? Like the Israelites go out, and the first thing they do is like, "Can we go back?" And if we it? do take
1: our freedom on our own, apart from Christ, then we get eaten by a wolf, right? Yeah. So, <clears throat> or we fall, jump off a cliff because we're stupid
0: sheep. And so there is a lot of going on there with the sheep imagery, and it's and, and even though you may have heard, you know, "I am Jesus, a little lamb," and how cute that is, um, it's kind of insulting to us that because be you're not fast. Sheep. Yeah,
1: you don't fight well. You're fluffy, and you taste delicious for predators.
0: And we also use that in a negative way. You're, you're just sheep. You're just following, right? And right. so, but then the, the imagery goes that you know Jesus will leave the ninety-nine. The shepherd leaves the ninety-nine to go find the one, and brings the sheep back, and all this kind of stuff. So, uh, it is a very powerful picture, both on the level of a child. I am Jesus, a little lamb. But as an adult, there's there's something about us. That is very profound. We will, like you said, go back into the darkness. If we, if we do wander off, we're, we're silly. Um, you know, uh, uh, we, we can't tell that it's the wolf in sheep's clothing. Like you should be able to tell that that's not a sheep. Right. right. Um, but the imagery there is that this big, bad wolf puts on a little wool and you're like, Oh, Hey buddy. You know, and that is an imagery of us uh, seeing something that we think is nice and beautiful and wonderful, but it's the devil underneath of that. And there, there's some, there's some wolves in the church right? Who are, would lead us away from the gospel into law. And so there's quite a bit of imagery for the adult here in, in the picture of she, the sheep and Jesus, the good shepherd, the, the great chapter, John 10, where Jesus is a good shepherd. And maybe the, the final point is the sheep, however, know the shepherd's voice, right? The shepherd's voice is, you can tell the difference between your shepherd and somebody else's shepherd. And so listen to the words. Don't go by sight. It may be a wolf in sheep's clothing. You know the word. Listen to the word. Listen to the shepherd's voice. Take me at my word is a phrase we repeat over and over again in intro to scripture. It's all about taking God at his word. Thanks for coming on, Wade. That was kind of fun. Can I tell one more One story? more story. Absolutely. Okay. We got so, time.
1: Uh, you know John Borland, yeah. Yeah. You can, you, you met him before. I have. Um, and so, John and Mike and I go way back, and you and John go back
0: thirteen years much old. Much
1: further, yeah. So, uh, but we went to Croatia. I was presenting at a conference on Matthias Flacius, and um, but as part, it turns out John has relatives who came from this island in Croatia, um, on Bay or in Bailey on the island Sres, and uh, so we we went there early to go meet his relatives, which was a little risky. Cause what if John's relatives had like extorted the town and then left in shame and, mm-hmm. but turns out, um, they must've been okay people. Uh, but we go and we, we meet his, uh, one of his cousins and she, uh, it's very nice. She invites us to her home for dinner with her husband and her kids, but they had sheep and stuff. Right. And so I'm like, well, where do you keep your sheep? Cause I'm, in the Midwest, you picture sheep in, like, a sheep pen. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, a mountainous or hilly mountain or whatever, you know. And, and uh, they're like, oh, they're just out on the mountain. And I guess there's no wolves on this mountain. They mm-hmm. haven't been for years or whatever. But um so, well, how do you know where they're at? And they're like, oh, we call them. And she had said her husband's sheep won't come for her, but they'll come for her husband or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then her sheep will come for her and not for her husband. And I thought that was pretty cool because for yeah. all the stuff sheep don't have going for them, their the ears word. are very important, yeah. and so that, that 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 the faith comes through hearing and and the importance of preaching uh, that we get used to hearing the voice of the shepherd, because it's the it's really the ears that God takes hold of us by. And it's that I that, have other stories from that trip, but John would probably rather the, that I not embarrass.
0: The of. familiarity of that is because they listened. Right. So the more you listen, the more you hear preaching, the more you read, the more you'll be able to recognize the voice. Right. It just didn't pop in magically. There was some training. And it's because you know that shepherd cares for you. Yeah. And there's a there's an act of love that that goes on there. All right. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Students keep plugging away. Uh, We're going to keep doing this Um, until next time. Let the bird fly.